Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Untethering Shame podcast. Today's topic is one that tends to make many of us uncomfortable, sex and intimacy. Just saying the words can activate our shame from sex and sexuality, desires, and even our relationship with our bodies, we're subtly and not so subtly taught to feel shame about them. Heck, I'm 35 and I still feel uncomfortable changing in front of a mirror or being naked after the shower for too long because it feels weird and uncomfortable. But we not only deserve, but we need to talk about these things. Our bodies are not meant to be shamed. And the sexual nature of our bodies and being is nothing to shut down. And that's why we're here today. And I'm super pumped to be talking about this with my friend and colleague, Christy Bemis. Christy is a psychotherapist, sex educator, and relationship coach, an Ignite Your Life mentor and author. The list could go on and on if we wanted to. She does so many amazing things. And in each avenue, she is really focused on centering how she can help you see yourself fully, completely, and with love. Her list of accomplishments and work in the field of psychology and specifically in relationships and sex are numerous. Not only is she the co-founder and now sole owner of Hot Pink University, she's also trained in the Somatica method of relationships and intimacy building, as well as certified in level one of John Gottman's work. Her work ignites women and couples to reconnect with passions, purpose, and play. The beauty about her is that not only does she not shy away from these hard topics, but she creates the space for you to be open about them as well. She sees it as our right to unlock our full selves, which includes every aspect of our sexual and sensual selves as well. With that, Christy, thank you so much for being here. I've I've been jazzed about this conversation mm. since you booked your time. So I'm really excited for today. I am so excited to be here with you. And what a great topic to talk about. I I don't get me started, right? I'll keep talking yeah. and talking and talking about sex. <laughs> <laughs> when it's so cool too, because we met working in such a different scope mm-hmm. of the mental health field. So to now be having these conversations that you know, in the youth sector, in youth mental health and the sort of overlap that we had teaching about youth mental health first aid, I think it's sort of, it's not surprising that these conversations aren't happening, but it is so cool to now be having these conversations with you and to be thinking about how I, as a practitioner, as a mom too, yeah, she's three, but she's three and growing. And how do we yeah. kind of think about these things? And also how do you support people in your own practice and your own work around this? So tell me, I've been kicking off every episode, asking people, just kind of doing a grounding. If you could describe how you feel right now with one word, what word would you use? Oh, that's a good one. Mm, I feel, I feel complete today. Mm. I just feel complete, complete me, complete. I love, I've never experience someone using that word. I love that feeling and watching your face and your body kind of, as you said that there's that element of that doesn't mean life feels complete. Okay. That there isn't chaos and all that, but that you have (laughs) at least my experience of watching you do this is Mm -hmm. I feel grounded in myself to feel Mm -hmm. complete as a, as a being, as a person in the midst of all of the shuffle of my life right now. Exactly. And there is shuffle. I, I have um, need to go look for a car with my daughter this weekend because she needs a new car. I'm moving my aging parents into two hours away from their home that they yeah. love and adore this weekend. It is not uh, the absence of chaos in which I feel complete. I feel complete because I'm here. I'm present with you. And it just feels yeah. so right where my body needs to be right now. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, tell me, you know, as I started to think about this conversation, personally, I'm excited because I think sex is something that I grew up with a mom who at the time it was undiagnosed bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. and some substance use and a variety of things. But my mom really 
kind of strayed the opposite from, I think, a lot of households where Mm -hmm. I was in seventh grade and she was talking to me about oral sex and she was talking to me, but like in ways that was not appropriate, like tips and strategies and things that maybe you don't talk to a 12 year old about or sort of a hypersexuality in the the filter of what she shared is something now I understand is something that she didn't quite know how to filter. She didn't quite know how right. to engage based on how her brain functions, her sort of normal and and how her brain is present versus mm-hmm. maybe more traditional homes. And then I lived with my grandma and my grandma was like, you shouldn't have sex before marriage. She wasn't even a practicing Catholic, but it was like all of right. these things. We didn't talk about anything. She didn't want to know anything. She put me on birth control. And I think that was only because I knew how to convince her about (laughs) taking birth control for your periods. And, you know, Mm -hmm. the thing that everybody does does when they're that age and they want to be protected. But it was interesting because I feel like I had both ends of the spectrum. And even with a parent who was comfortable talking to sex, I still have and do feel shame talking about it as an individual, sometimes with clients in the world. So all that to say, I'm really excited because I think this mm-hmm. is a topic that a lot of people listening to this are going to be like, yeah, like I know that sex is this thing. I, I might even be willing to say I like sex or I enjoy sex or I have mm-hmm. sex, but they also don't expand it beyond just this one physical act. It's this whole aspect of sexual mm-hmm. being and nature and experience and this connection to ourselves from a sensual and sexual level. And so Yeah. So I'm a little nervous and really pumped. And I'm curious, thinking about this, how did you get here? How did you get to this point where this is what you Mm -hmm. specialize in? Because my guess is that you didn't grow up in the one household where everything was like, this is normal. We all talk about this. Everything is great. Maybe, Mm -hmm. but I'm guessing that this wasn't an easy road for you either. So tell me, where did it start? How did you feel and how'd you get here? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Polish Catholic small town, <laughs> a couple hundred okay, people. Okay. So right on the money. America, yeah. In, in the Midwest. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like my mom was very, um, open about talking about sex and like your experience, maybe too much like TMI. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she was doing her best trying to raise, um, a daughter who has sexual agency, sexual sovereignty in a time where those words weren't even like thought of. And so she just really, she came from a very shaming place with her mother, um, no sex before marriage, which then resulted in her getting married to somebody and and having like a very confusing time with my dad. So she really wanted me to have agency in a time that in Mm. the 1970s, when I was born was not a time where you had gave your daughter agency around that. Right. And so the messages were very clear that sex was not just like um, the the cautionary tales of the don'ts, don't get an mm-hmm. STD, don't get pregnant, don't don't give yourself away, don't be a tease, don't be a slut, like all of those things. The, yeah, the middle message, school health class. <laughs> yeah, the message yeah. was was beyond that of, and it can be pleasurable, and it can be fun, and it can oh. be shared with a partner who you know, you either love or who you just want to share an experience with, you know, there was a lot of like permissioning from her, but still living in a culture of Polish Catholic small town, there was a lot of like the shaming messages for sure. So how did I get here? Gosh, I don't know. I think because I struggled after like having kids and after menopause, I was super confused about sex in my own, even though I was a super sex positive person super confused about my own sexuality and like what was happening to my aging body that I just started on this path of like, why is this so hard in my marriage mm-hmm. to be having sex? Like we, we had a huge sex drive. We had a great, like, uh, you know, bond with each other through that. And then kids came and then aging came and then menopause came and what happened here and how did we get here? So I was really on a personal path. And then just professionally, you know, in psychotherapy, I never asked my clients all these years and all the couples work I've done, how was your sex life? Yeah. And when was the last time you had sex? And how was Mm -hmm. it? Which seems like a really key feature to why people are coming in for couples therapy 
in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yet mm-hmm. we don't we don't have it in any wellness model. We don't like you know have it in our psychosocial assessment as psychotherapists. Like ask about mm-hmm. sex. And most doctors, I think there's like some statistic out there. Seventy percent of doctors don't even ask you about your sex life, and if they do, it's like super uncomfortable. Jeez. So it was really integral for me in my own personal journey. And the journey of working with couples and with women, especially midlife women, we have to start having these proactive conversations about sex. Yeah. It's so interesting. So a couple of things from what you said that really stand out. So one, this beautiful experience that you got that really was different from so, so many household conversations with their parents or their caregivers, where you were given, like you said, this form of agency and this ability to see sex as something that you don't have to fear, but also something that you can enjoy without a sense of permanency. Because I think that was another thing. Again, there's so much panic about what could happen if you're having sex. So the fear tactic has really just been, I mean, it's like the dare program, but for sex. Mm -hmm. And so you got this very different experience and you still are existing in a larger culture and world where sex is shamed. So it was a very kind of dual kind of both sides for you of, okay, I believe these things, but I'm also existing in a world where practicing these things is not yet accepted and supported in the ways that it should be. So there's still a silence that came maybe outside of the conversations with mom. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of hold that. Sounds like there's a whole, there's a middle chunk here, which I'm sure we'll kind of hit on too, but you had this bond, this powerful relationship with your partner. Mm-hmm. You had kids. There was mm-hmm. sort of the beauty in the sexual connection, and then that was gone. And there was these dominoes. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm interested to hear more kind of about the internal experience and the external mm-hmm. experience, because again, you're recognizing it where we're not talking about it in the room. I think the two or three times I have actively brought it up with clients that weren't coming in for. Like I'm here because I want to practice polyamory and I want to talk through that where that was, mm-hmm. okay, sex is on the table, different relationships is on the table. It's sort of out there, but the times where I brought it up, I don't know who's more uncomfortable, but we all are, and we're all sitting in it. And even though I believe it needs to be talked about, there is still this fear. And that fear is not just with your therapist, with your doctor, that fear is with your partner, that mm-hmm. fear is with your friends. It's, it's this, everything I'm feeling inside what does it mean if I put it out into the world? Mm-hmm. So tell me, what was that experience like for you? And I think we're kind of starting to even segue into shame with that. So I'm curious, yeah, what, how did that show up for you? Were you able to talk about it? What did it feel like? And how do you see this kind of coming into play as it relates to shame? Yeah, I don't think that I, I'm like feeling even teary just thinking about it. I don't feel like I was even... Um, able to talk about it. it was like such a repressed topic in my marriage regarding what was happening to us and what was happening for us and what was happening for me. And I felt mm. a deep amount of shame of I am somehow causing this. And, and in hindsight, looking back, yeah, I was part of like the problem that was happening because um, one, I feel like just how we're socialized as women we are moms and then sex shifts in our mind of like how Mm -hmm. a mom should enjoy sex. Like it should definitely be tamer missionary position and be quiet, like be quiet because your kid's down the hall. Right. And (laughs) so there's just a lot of that piece to it of like, I couldn't wrap my head around how to be a mom and still be like a, a you know, maybe a kinky sexual being, you know, and and have noise when I have sex. And I felt very silenced by, you know, my partner, because too, he is like having his own feelings of like, what a mom should um, be sexually expressing Mm -hmm. and how they should be sexually expressing themselves. And so I think there was just this deep repression. And whenever we would bring it up, it like either became very fighty, like blamey of who, who's responsible for what, or very shaming, or it was silence. Like, we're not talking about this. And I think it was really hard to not talk about how I was feeling. I think the the conversation I had recently with my current partner 
um, was really interesting in that um, we were struggling with something um, very specific sexually. And we were able to the next day talk about it. And he said something that was like such a trigger for me, which was something like, it just seems like there's a moving target with you. And I think that we are taught that as women, that what Mm. I I can't figure you out. You're such a mystery as a woman. I just don't know what you want. One day you want this and one day you want that. And it's just a moving target. And I thought I was doing what you wanted because you asked for that last week. And now today, and I'm like, exactly. I am a moving target. I am a woman. And my arousal one day has a different key and a lock than it has the next day. And I'm not going to apologize for that anymore. I'm not. And he's like, oh, I get that. I get that. Because male arousal, when you're in a heterosexual relationship, is so very different than female arousal. And why can't it be? Why, why Why would you want to change your partner? to be different than what they're biologically or neurologically wired to be. So it was such a beautiful conversation because I was like so adamant and so in my power of like, yes, I am a moving target yeah. and we can have conversations and figure out what that target is today together. How fun is that? Like how fun yeah. we can have together to like figure out the mystery of what my body wants and needs today. And so I think yeah. by opening it up and, and, Deshamifying the conversation and not having to apologize, and my partner holding space for that of like you don't have to apologize. And I said something that triggered, and now we're both kind of in the soup together. It was just mm-hmm. such a beautiful resolution to the conversation of let's figure this out together. We're in this together. Well, it sounds like in your previous marriage, kind of learning that that silence is a very normal experience, that shaming, mm-hmm. that fighting, that defensiveness is a very normal experience, but it is normalized dysfunction that doesn't need to happen. It is normalized mm-hmm. pain that is rooted in a culture of shame. And so those Absolutely. things, people have that, those fights all the time. People are silently worried that they're the problem. I think you hit it so poignantly when you talked about the evolution of being a mom, I think, you know, even three years in, I breastfed Everly for a little mm-hmm. over a year. My breasts still feel like they're hers in a way. Mm-hmm. Like they don't feel my body experience has changed. And you, if you haven't breastfed or had an experience like that, you might not have felt that. And that might be a different experience for you. But for me, it's like they, they still feel like any touch feels like it's a baby about to latch onto them two years past ending breastfeeding. And so it's, it's this really interesting thing that I think so many people go through. And, you know, as you mentioned, we're talking specifically about both of us being in heterosexual relationships or heteronormative Mm -hmm. relationships, but it is that piece of kind of women subtly silencing themselves. And it's not just within the sexual relationship, but it's all these other ways too. It's the becoming of the human giver. And it's the, you know, you're 13, 14, 15, talking to your girlfriends about how to fake an orgasm Mm -hmm. because that is socially acceptable because that's what we should do because our job becomes about completion for a male counterpart. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that people that have sex with other women or non-binary folks or male to male, or even other heteronormative experiences aren't like that. But there is this thing that sort of happens that's sort of culturally ingrained in us because the expectation, regardless of how we identify when we're little, is that everybody is heterosexual. Even I would love to say it's changing. I think the conversations are, but there's still a lot of that pressure. And it is very much about sort of silent suffering and how are you because your body changed you had the kids you're the one that's struggling with this now you're the one that's going through menopause how are you now the problem and failing and letting them down and that Mm -hmm. that just feels like such a heavy weight that is immediately going to make sex even harder because you're literally spiking your cortisol adding all these things up and so how, how did you break out of that? Because that feels right. so heavy. And now you're describing this very open experience. What changed in you? Obviously different partners, mm-hmm. but what did you have to do to get to that point where you made that decision of, I'm not going to apologize and I'm not going to assume responsibility 
for this dual relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to say like our poor boys too, like they're socialized so, so pathetically, you know, so no, like no ill, uh, feelings or like blaming of my ex-husband either. We were both in the soup together in that. Right. Um, and our poor boys are like, just taught so many like pathetically wrong messages around performance and fixing and like who they need to be too. So, you know, it's a messed up, uh, system in general. Yeah. Messed up, messed up messages in general. So yeah, my journey, like how did I overcome that? I started understanding my body more and I started really looking at the ways that I was numbing out either with like um, too much wine in the evening, like one extra glass that won't hurt, you know? Um, yeah. So life is like a real struggle in my marriage and sex life. Mm. And one more glass of wine will like help me sleep tonight or, um, you know, retail shopping or just like being over busy, being overworked. I'm really good at that. I'm really good at like mm-hmm. numbing myself out with overwork. That's probably one of my favorite places to go. And so mm. how I got support. I got support. I, the therapist got a therapist who was really Mm -hmm. engaged in somatic work. Um, Her name is Helen Hillix. I'm just going to give her a shout out because she was amazing. And during my divorce and during my redating, again, it was just really integral for me to do my own healing around like um, being present for myself, you know, and feeling all the feels that I was having from the neck down, not just, you know, my logical neck up feelings. So it was bringing my body back online that way. Um, it was even working um, with a sexological body worker, you know, just putting mm-hmm. that out there. It's a profession and people have a controversial mm-hmm. like feeling around that. But it really, I got to know in one session, even just, I got to know how my body worked and that it wasn't broken, which was a super mm-hmm. important message in menopause that I needed to learn about myself. And that was through the work with, um, uh, Pamela Madsen's back to the body. So that was super integral. And then just even my own training with Somatica Institute, even though I was doing that training for working with clients in a, in a more broader, um, not just talk therapy fashion, but let, letting them have experiential experiences and a felt experience and a vulnerability to the work. Um, I was learning something. I, I created um, more intimate connections with all the people in my life from my, my mom and my stepdad to my daughter, to mm. my lover, to my friendships. Like that is the journey is how do we stay connected and in, in these relationships that um, aren't always um, fun to be in. <laughs> well, it's interesting because what you're describing and a sidestep, I really appreciate you saying and acknowledging, because I think sometimes what can happen is we're addressing you know, if we're talking about the patriarchal system and we talk about women and non-binary folks, we have this, there's sort of this unspoken then villainizing of the other side. So I really appreciate that you acknowledge that this isn't, this is also a system in which the messages that men are receiving are screwed up and the sort of vulnerability of being able to say that they don't know how to, they need it to be your problem because they've been taught that they're supposed to be able to do it all. And so it has to be that you're the moving target because they're supposed to be able to do these things. Mm -hmm. And it's been this idea of sort of survival of the fittest in some ways, but on a much deeper shame-based scale. So side note, want to just acknowledge, I really appreciate you saying that because it's such an important message for people to hear. The interesting thing that I, take away from what you just said is that, you know, when I think about the self and breaking down the parts of the self, and I think a lot about as a cognitive behaviorally trained therapist, there's thoughts, feelings, behaviors. And I think a lot about connections. And I've more recently started to explore the aspect of kind of the spiritual self. And I think there's Mm. resistance in that for me because of my own thoughts about religion, but I'm really working through religion and spirituality are very different things. Very. But even as I think about all that, I still have never put the bucket of sex and sexual connection back in relation to all these other parts of the self. And what you're describing is essentially getting to a 
place that you could know yourself sexually also meant knowing yourself in all of these other areas. Oh, so it absolutely. really is integrated. Highly so, connected to spirituality. Yeah, I mean, there yeah. are times in an orgasm, there's, I mean, where you're like, you know, connected to the divine or in high arousal states where I feel like it's a prayer. It's a meditation for me. And I think um, the traditional way of performing sex or yeah. the end outcome of like some orgasm or ejaculation is like so antiquated when we can like be more embodied in our sexuality, which is just being present to one another and to the human mm. being that you're like with in that moment, or if you're in a, in a solo sex practice moment, mm -hmm. or just being present to yourself. Um, there's so much more. And I always connect sexuality with spirituality and creativity. The three of them go hand in hand and, and, you know, when we're balancing sexuality, our creativity and how we express that also mm -hmm. starts coming online and our spirituality definitely comes online. So I don't think we can get to spirit or any kind of like higher power without sexuality in many ways. Yeah. Well, and do you think, cause when you said that, I hadn't even made this connection too. So a lot of the idea of you know, shame driven culture and shame and that mm -hmm. fear of not being enough, doing enough. It really is the undercurrent of hustle culture and doing and performance. And so what you just described is sex is the action of some, some form of completion. And again, that could be oral sex. It could be other forms of sex. It could be any sort of exploration that people are having, but there's this sort of, at least the messages that I'm now making the assumption a lot of people feel, but that I have is like, well, you do it and there's an outcome. So you have to get to this outcome. And so the idea of, I remember even being a kid and hearing the terms like blue balls and hearing these other mm. terms that, you know, are like, well, somebody didn't finish. And what does that mean? And so there's a lot of expectation too, of a certain degree of completion rather than the process of experiencing your own body, your, another person's body, other multiple people's bodies. So do you think that's part of it too, from like this kind of hidden shame tactic of we come in and almost see it as a job. So we aren't yeah. able to be present in the process. Definitely. There's a performance base to it that if you get you know, your partner too hot that you have to finish it off. Otherwise they get blue balls. Right. Well, there right. is masturbation. I don't right. know. That might be it. If I, if my consent has run the gamut of like, I feel complete now in, in where I'm at mm. with our like physical interaction, this was amazing. Thank you. Fun. But I'm complete now. Why would we have to do anything out of obligation or like you know, more It's because society teaches us that that's teasing and that mm -hmm. that's not fair and that's not right. And so, yeah, it's these messages around why can't you listen to your body? And if your body is saying, boy, I'm feeling complete in my consent that I'm, um, you know, using my body to connect with you. Um, yeah. why can't that just be it? And I think there's a lot of like sexuality and connection to body image you know, mm -hmm. I remember uh, you asked the question in like the form filling out to come on as a guest, when was the first shame experience you had? And I remember um, it was like in, in second grade, the most vivid one around my sister really started, even though I love her dearly, she started teasing me about my hairy arms and calling me gorilla arms on the playground. Mm -hmm. And so I think for a lot of us as women, our first shame story is connected to our bodies or emotions somehow an emotional an emotion like don't cry don't be a cry baby or something like that mm -hmm. where our shame stories are super connected to those two things which are integral elements to the sexual experience yeah. our body and our emotions are coming online for the sexual experience so if we have shame stories about how our body looks how our body tastes how our body smells, how our body is aging, then yeah. I think it just has that domino impact on our sexuality as well. Yeah, I, I sort of had this part of me went back to a very similar experience. I was in my friend's basement and this boy that I really liked, we were all hanging out and something came up about 
my weight or something Mm. like that. And then he said something to the effect, this isn't verbatim, but basically like, well, you'd probably lose a lot of weight if you started shaving your arms and like basically shaving your body. I think you said your arms and your legs. Ouch. And (laughs) And the like, and this being the boy that I was like, mm. and I, and I continued to like him and he would say things of like course. this to me all the time, which yes. is, you know, it's own fucked up. Mm. I don't believe I'm deserving of being treated with <laughs> kindness. So I accept mm-hmm. this. And I still think that there, there's something to that instead of realizing that's abusive, that's emotionally abusive yeah. uh, and verbally abusive, but it's those feelings. And I even remember going to Hawaii five years ago with my husband and we had been married Mm -hmm. at the time eight years or married a few years, but together eight years, nine years. And then my brother and sister-in-law and two of our friends and I were on the max out here in Portland. We were hanging out here for the day and then flying out the next day. And I remember telling them, I just need to say this now because I had so much shame about it Mm -hmm. that I'm not going to be able to shave my legs every day because I get such bad razor burn. And like my bikini line is going to have growth because I I can't, Mm -hmm. my body doesn't, doesn't take to that very well. I don't have the type of skin you can do that with. And I was like apologizing to them because I was petrified of wearing a swimsuit. And it's just these little moments that you're describing of like the reinforcement and it's, we could go so deep. This would be a whole separate topic of you know, our weight, the appearance Mm -hmm. that we have, our hair, our, if, you know, if you wear makeup or don't wear makeup, how, like you said, aging and the aging experience, if whatever your body identity and body presentation are, how does it fit the norms that you're quote unquote supposed to be in? And yeah, that subtle messaging of like, I don't deserve to be on the beach because I'm wearing a size blank. You know, I don't deserve to be on the beach because I have bikini like line hair that's coming out and I heaven forbid somebody sees that. And so that piece of that that translates to the sexual experience too of, you know, what, what are they going to see? I've had so many clients in eating disorder recovery that that is one of the biggest things we do have to talk about is letting someone, letting themselves see their body first. And again, I still have a problem with that years into recovery from my own Mm -hmm. eating disorder. So letting you experience your whole body, but then letting somebody else see that and being okay with that yeah. and realizing, you know, if I, I, at times I'll apologize, like I haven't shaved my legs in a while or I haven't done mm-hmm. this. And like multiple times I've said something and Jordan's reaction is like, so kind, but also so like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, that's not right. what I'm paying attention to. My experience of you is not that. But when our experience of ourselves is that and is reduced to these mm-hmm. bullet point lists of all the ways we're failing, right? Yeah, it feels like feels like how could we not be coming into the sexual self already with problems as teens, young adults? Because that list has been cataloged since, like you said, second grade. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. There's a lot there to unpack regarding how we feel about like our bodies and our sexual expression of our bodies, which in all reality is just an innate, we're born with it drive that we're taught to like morally compass and suppress and repress in some ways. And so I think for me, the authentic sexual expression is when my desires align with my values and, Mm. and my behaviors. And like, that's the truest authentic sexual expression and so sometimes the work for me has to be on my values like maybe the way I'm believing they should be expressed needs to be worked on or shifted or changed Mm -hmm. Um, or maybe I need to look at like my behaviors and are they lined up you know with my values and my desires and I think that's sometimes where shame comes from um, is when we're acting on a desire that's maybe not lined up with our, our values. And then we feel Mm -hmm. shame around it. And so a lot of times it's going back to my values and, and questioning, like, why do I believe what I believe in? And is it true for me anymore? Is it serving a purpose for me anymore? Yeah. Yeah. And as you're saying all this too, I'm starting to think about that sort of untangling of self from shame that work for so many people is going to be like, 
I don't even know what I desire or what I value and what I want. And how do you even go about that? And what if, you know, if they are partnered, what if my partner doesn't want to talk about what if it, you know, they're feeling maybe pulled similar to the dynamic you mentioned with your ex-husband of, mm-hmm. you know, what if, what if we can't talk about it? What if we've both got stuff to do or, you know, again, other sort of complexity in the dynamics, what would you say? to those people kind of what would be where do they start with that where do they even begin with this notion of untangling from that shame web and writing a different story because I think Mm -hmm. and correct me if I'm wrong but where my brain is going is that the conversation might not be step one step one might be some more internal work step one might be a little bit more reflection and insight building but I don't know. So if you had somebody coming into your office and they're like, look, this sucks. I don't know what to do with this. I'm not happy. I think the problem is me. I just, I used to enjoy sex. I, you know, or, or I've never enjoyed sex, but people mm-hmm. seem to think you can, what do I do with that? What's the first thing you would kind of tell them or give them to start working on? Well, one is just that deshamifying message of, you're not alone. Like your story resonates Mm. with my story and every other woman's story that's walked through the door. You know, it's not like you're some uh, abnormal person walking in here with a pathological issue, right. That I need to diagnose. Mm. It's more around you're right where you need to be. And I think the other piece is um, nobody else's um, nobody else is in charge of your sexuality, but you, you know, and where do you want to go with it? What journey do you want to be on with it? And your partner may join you on that journey or they may not, but nobody yeah. has to put your sexuality on a shelf for you and say, that was for your youth. You're done with mm-hmm. that now. Good luck with that. You know, you get to be on your own journey and um, advocate, you know, for your own sexual desires or experiences that you want to have. Um and I think it's just starting with um, more of being embodied in general. Like, let's take sex out of it. What about just being in your body, having a conversation yeah. with your body, um, getting to know your body again in whatever form that takes, whether that's through self-touch practice or through just meditation practices? How can you mm-hmm. just get your body back online again and, and start the conversation with her? Yeah. Well, and it, it sounds like there's sort of that painful piece too of, for some people, they might even know that opening the door to this topic, mm-hmm. either they've already preemptively decided if, if they have a partner, if they have people in their life that they won't go on the journey with them. So they've convinced themselves to stay in that sort of predictable shittiness. You know, it's not that bad. Yeah. This is okay. A lot of people don't have sex as they get older or it changes. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And so they talk themselves into that because they're afraid that the outcome of breaking out of this sort of shame-based closet is rejection, is failure, is, and it might be that the other person can't or isn't able to, or doesn't want to meet them on that journey, but we don't know that for sure. And that also isn't a rejection of you. It's just a misalignment with priorities, abilities, interests, whatever it might be. And so it sounds like a lot of what you have to do with people in the room is kind of holding space for that too, to recognize Mm -hmm. that the fear, whether that's working on setting boundaries at work or telling your partner that what felt good last week doesn't feel good this week, they both require that same degree of self-trust and self-efficacy of knowing you have a right to do that. And if somebody doesn't respond with kindness, acceptance, all of these things, that's not about you. Right. And And how do we allow space to say, but not doing that, we have enough data that that doesn't work because you're here right right now, unhappy, unfulfilled. They wouldn't be the ones sitting in the chair saying, I feel complete right now. They would have this pervasive incompleteness because they're not able to be their true selves. And so it sounds like that is where you probably have to meet a lot of people is that fear of stepping into themselves might mean stepping out of some relationships Mm -hmm. that 
haven't or no longer will serve them as they come into their full self. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, I had allowed my sexuality to be put on a shelf and, and lived without sex for years, you know, Mm -hmm. um, because I just thought that's, that's what happens. And I'm too broken, you know, Mm -hmm. in some ways. And I knew by facing it, by going down that path, there might be a lot of loss in that. There might be a lot of grief of letting go of some things. And it was not like an easy journey to do. You know, I Mm -hmm. did lose a lot in that journey, but what I found on the other end of it was myself again and, um, my own, you know, joy and, and peace. And sometimes it's Mm -hmm. not, you know, tethered using your Mm -hmm. podcast name. It's not tethered (laughs) to an external thing, another person. Yeah. It's in, it's, it lives inside. So what do you think is, I think this is such a beautiful sort of evolution and you've used your personal story as a means to connect with other people, which I think, again, both of us in our programs have, we're probably taught not to share a lot about it. At least I was, was, you know, self-disclosure is a big no-no. You don't say that you don't put your stuff out there, but I think what you so beautifully did is again, maybe not like our parents where, or our moms where they did a little TMI. We don't have to share every (laughs) detail, but we can connect Mm -hmm. through the human experience. And this is a human experience and a journey, as you said. And so it really allows, I think for many people listening that are like, gosh, I have struggled with this. I was taught not to talk about sex or that sex is for you know reproduction only, or that you only do these things, whatever messages they have, or like you said, I'm a tease, I'm dirty, I'm a slut, the names that we've had, if we're interested in these things. But now I also think just as a mom, you know, the goal is always that we try to take the cycle, take the mm-hmm. the baton and go to the next rung of the ladder. What do we do to change the message to our kids, regardless of how they identify male, female, non-binary? Mm-hmm. How do we change this conversation with them in tandem, obviously with working on our own shame? Because none of us are going to be like, I have no sex shame starting tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What do what do we need to be willing to do and explore and talk about with them so that they aren't sitting here in 30 years having those same fears and pain points that we are now? Yeah, I love that question because I wrote a blog a while ago um, called how to raise a sex positive daughter. And, um, there's tips and tools and things like that in there. And I have, a I have a son and I have a daughter and it's interesting because my daughter and I can have very open consenting conversations with each other. But that's, mm-hmm. I think the other thing is recognizing what's, what's important for one child that you're raising might not be the same for the other. And so yeah. for my son and I, there's definitely a very like, no, I don't really give you permission to talk about those things in front of me. So I don't push. I, mm. I as a mom, I just left a lot of books around. I still leave like a lot of books around. Yeah. Um, I keep doing my own thing, you know, and, yeah. and if something, you know, gets listened to or read, awesome, great that, you know, but we have to, I think, first and foremost, have consent with our kids to like have these topics. There's nothing more I think damaging than I hear um, you know, kids come in and say, my parents like pushed this conversation on me. Yeah. It was so awkward. Yeah. It was so uncomfortable. And so, you know, starting with where your child is at and and what their comfort level is and consenting to the conversation is super important. Um I think, you know, just being open like to being curious. And there are times where, you know, my daughter has shared things and I I can immediately feel my body go to, as a mom, I should be like putting my foot down on this. And like, there should be some moral, there's a moral like code I have to like implement here. Right. That's <laughs> what I'm supposed to be doing as a mom. I'm not, I'm not, you know, that like out there, I'm not a hippie mom. That's like, just like yeah. free love, you know? But then I have to check myself and it's like, where's that coming from? And usually it comes from my own fear yeah, and my own lack of trust in she's on her own journey and she's got this, like she knows 
she knows what she's doing. She knows her body and she doesn't, she's going to like talk to me and ask me and invite me into, you know, that conversation with her. So I think it's a lot of that of like, just really seeing where your kids are at and um, really promoting I'm here, like, regardless of what the topic is, I'm here, I'm here and I'm open and available and I'm not going to be reactive. Even though I might be feeling the reaction in my body, I, I can take care of myself and I can be fully resourced as your parent to like, you know, be present here for what, whatever the conversation is that you need to have. Yeah. I love that. It sounds like, and I'm, I'll put a link to that blog post. I also know you mentioned offline that you did an episode with her where you talked about dating apps. So we'll have to put both of those Mm -hmm. links in there so people can kind of hear how you navigate that. But I think the big thing I'm taking away, especially again, my daughter's three is the realization of sometimes we want to course correct so bad, or we have our own guilt or we've had our own struggles that we want to write the wrongs of our own story or write away the missteps or the pain of our own story with our kids. And that is about us, not about them. And so I think the thing you're describing is this, who am I doing this for right now? Am I bringing this up for me or am I bringing this up really for them? And what does it look like to be there for them and allow them to co-create what that space looks like? And in your case, you got very different messages from your kids about what that looks like to co-create space around whatever topic Mm -hmm. it is and needing to be okay with that and opening the door to those things. And I think I really had an appointment when she was like 18 months old and the, it wasn't with her regular physician. And he said, you know, as a black gay male, they had adopted a daughter and she was black. And he talked to me, he's like, I really just wanted to be all about empowerment and push these messages and make sure that she got everything she knew. And he's like, mm. and we kind of overdid it. We overdid it to the point where we weren't teaching her any other way, but the way that we felt like we had to, to kind mm-hmm. of react to the societal norms. I'm not totally getting exactly what he said. Correct. Right. But basically the idea of we don't swing to the opposite end of the pendulum, just be open to the conversations and really mm-hmm. make sure that there's sort of an, inclusive approach to everything we're talking about, because you have no idea how your kids are going to identify when it comes to their sexual self, their gender, their, how they feel about their emotions, their mental state, their relationships, all of these things. And so not making assumptions that then drive what we're doing. So it sounds like, again, starting internal of what is the message we want to move forward? What are our values and how do we embody them in ways that align with the people in front of us and how important that is. And to keep taking their feedback, not from a defensive place, but Mm -hmm. from a curious place because it might evolve. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, so many of the people listening to this are probably like, please keep, please keep going, but I know we're right at the end here. And so, you know, let's in your mind, Let's go back to whether that's second grade or after having kids and the we've got to be quiet or Mm. the moment you feel triggered and by your current partner and you say something. Mm -hmm. If you think about the mantra you want to have or the message that you wish you had had then and the ones you have now, what is something that you want to leave everybody with? that statement, that's that phrase, that's something that they could take with them, that if you had had it back then, Mm -hmm. or that you found it now, and it's allowed that shift could really give them something to walk away from. Well, they digest, I think, the complexity of just how deep this topic might be for them overall. Mm, That's such a big, big question. I know, as I'm asking it, I was like, oh, shoot, I know. Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, What would the mantra, there's so much swirling through my mind. Um, You know, I always, I often go back to just even like the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz Mm. when I think of that. And so often, no matter what the topic is regarding sexuality, parenting, finances, how I use my free time, any topic like that. I'm just always doing my best. And then I trust that the person in front of me is just always doing their very best in this moment in time too. 
Mm. And when I can sit with that, I can just be more present versus getting connected, I think, to like some grand outcome or what it needs to look like five years from now or even five minutes from now that we're just all sitting here right in this moment doing our absolute very best. And so we can, can we give one another grace? Can we give ourselves a little Mm. grace in this moment? I think that would be my mantra around anything is just do your best. And it shifts from day to day. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. My hundred percent today looks very different than yesterday or this afternoon, you know? And so being open to that, but it also sounds like if you can get to that place, it's a degree of trust in yourself and vulnerability with yeah. others, but it's also a releasing of your, your sense of self based on how somebody else reacts. So it really is about mm-hmm. if their best is being a jerk that day, mm-hmm. you release yourself from being attached to that. That's not about you. That's their best that they can do today. And it has everything to do with where they're at and their circumstances and their story. That's not yours, Mm -hmm. you know, and what a beautiful place for us to come to. I have to remind myself that constantly with my relationship with my husband, Mm -hmm. when he's works stretches of night shifts and he's not around and I am very much the, I'm supposed to do it all, be it all. And then I burn out. I'm very much like you. I numb out with overwork. And by the end of stretches like that, I have made the case that he is like the worst partner on the planet because I'll start to tabulate every little thing that he did or didn't do that's not serving me because I'm Mm -hmm. upset and lonely. And instead of just saying that and knowing, gosh, he's doing the best he can, I'm doing the best I can. And this situation sucks and it can't be controlled because if it's his fault, then it feels like there's control because he should be able to do something about it or I can do something about it. And so Mm -hmm. it really is about finding balance and knowing sometimes things are great. Sometimes things are hard. Most of that is out of our control other than being able to be present in ourselves, to know ourselves and to allow the self to continue on, as you said, the journey to be okay when that self evolves over time and to give others the opportunity to get to know that version of you rather than shame it away and not give it the opportunity to be seen. Absolutely. Yeah. And there is no like normal when we're talking about sexuality, you know, so we're all just doing our best in our sexual like expression. And when we know better, we do better. When we know more, we, we do more, you know, and so just be on that journey. Yeah. I love this. Well, thank you so much. This has been incredible. I'll put links to both of those, the blog post and the podcast interview that you did with her. I'll also just have links to your website. I want to make sure that people know about your women's talking circles that you do. Those are incredible. There's just so many different things that Christy does to give you different entry points to start to talk about these things. If it feels more comfortable to do one-on-one with her, if you want to be in a setting with other people to kind of have that feeling of you're not alone, check out everything that she has to offer. I'm excited. I'm sure one day she will be back to go deeper on a different Mm -hmm. conversation with us. So let us know what more you want to hear from with her, her wisdom and her ability again to hold space for these hard conversations is just incredible. So Christy, thank you. Listeners, thank you. I will see you all back here next week for another episode.